It's the root that is going to give all of the nutrients to this pink lady shoot, this pink lady branch, and that's going to actually like produce an apple that is specific to the DNA of the bud that is attached to it. And so what's beautiful about grafting is that it's a way for trees to be uh, more fruitful and it's also a way to be, give a lot of protection to the trees because now you have um, more DNA that's more protected. And we have this analogy that happens in scripture of us as Christians, as children of God, being grafted into the family of God. So what that means is you're taking a, a scion, like a little branch, and you're, you're grafting it into the root, the, the root, the source of all the nutrients and in fact, if I took like a pink lady branch and I just threw it into the middle of a field, would anything come from it? No. Nothing would come from it. It would probably just wither and die because it wasn't connected to anything that's giving it nutrients. But if you put it into a, a tree, a tree stump that has been grafted, that actually has a physical wound in it, I have to, you have to make a physical wound in this root, this tree stump, in order to graft it in, it will produce fruit, and it will produce fruit that is specific to the actual, to the actual branch that's connecting it. And so we as Christians are invited into the family of God by being grafted in, meaning there has to be a wound made in order for us to be grafted into this family of God. And imagine like a family tree, like it's a perfect analogy. We have these family trees of all of these different branches coming down and coming down, and we as Christians have been adopted into this family of God by being grafted in. And so we're going to be talking this morning about what it means to be adopted into the family of God and how that is part of our core identity as a Christian, is someone who has been adopted into the family of God. I just want to even uh, begin with this because some of you, um, this, this topic of adoption is going to hit every single one of you differently. But something that I feel like I, I just want to keep front and center on my mind, and that's why I have this um, little, it's called iconography. Um, it's a type of art that is being, that is done, um, that is very historic. And this actually has like gold, real gold layered onto it. But this is a picture of that, I actually got this in Greece. And this is a picture of Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And usually a lot of these are just Mary and Jesus. But I got this one specifically because Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, is part of it. It's a great reminder that Jesus knows what it's like to be adopted. Jesus was fully God and fully man. But we know that uh, Joseph does not share any DNA with Jesus. It was only Mary's DNA that was passed on. Because it was through the dwelling of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was born. And so the, Mary was a virgin when she had Jesus. And so that means that Joseph is not Jesus' biological father. But we know that Joseph took Jesus in as his own. And so when I'm talking through this message today about how you have been adopted into the family of God, that wording is not used lightly. And in fact, Jesus knows the experience of what it is to, to have a father that is not his own. Jesus shares for eternity the father-son relationship with God the Father. But we were once orphaned. Like, just like that song Grace Alone starts with, I was orphaned, lost at the fall. 
we have not always known God as our Father. And Jesus also similarly had to understand what it felt like to, to feel orphaned at a time, to feel like, man, I don't know who my earthly father is. I don't have an earthly father. But Joseph is stepping in to be that for me. And so he legally adopted Jesus as his own. And that is how Jesus is part of the line of David. So this is a beautiful thing that I'm, I'm just going to keep in front of me to remind me that Jesus knows the experience of what it is like to be adopted into a family. And that is what he is calling us to say yes to, is to be adopted into his family, the family of God. First, my first point, which you guys all have little um, handouts underneath your chair, and they are so tiny because if you wanted, uh, you could put it, put it in the back of your phone um, over the week. If you have like a clear phone case or something like that and you wanted to put it to remind yourself throughout the week of what we were learning on Sunday, you could. It's a little thing we're trying out to see if it sticks with you throughout the week a little better. Um, but on that, my first point is we are adopted into the family of God before we were ever born. So I'm going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to be reading verses 3 through 10, but taking it in chunks. And so in Ephesians chapter 1, if you want to flip there with me, Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 3 through 6 about how we are adopted into the family of God before we were born. It says this in verse 3 through 6, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, there is a lot of blessing in that sentence, in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Before the foundation of the world, he predestined us to be adopted into his family, meaning God has had it in his mind that he would welcome each of us in this room, every single one of us on earth, into the family of God. He said, I have already signed the papers. You are already mine. It's just you coming to the realization and you saying yes to being part of my family when you get to start to live in the reality of what it means to be a child of God. We have already been adopted into the family of God. Before we were ever born, he had you in mind and said, I want you, and I'm going to chase you down. You sitting in this room right now, hearing scripture read out loud, should be screaming to you that God has chased you down. He has placed you in a family that might have been going to church, he, maybe he placed you in a school where you met a friend who has brought you here. Maybe it's just simply that you lived in this area and heard about the, a church, and you start going to a church because you were seeking something more. Maybe you're just seeking community at the very least, somewhere to belong. And you stumbled in this room, either on purpose or on accident, but God had you in mind. He has chased you down so that you would hear the truth, the gospel that he has invited you into his family, that he's actually already adopted you to be a son or a daughter of the King Most High. We were adopted in the family of God before we were even born. I was thinking about how to even 
uh, frame this for you guys, the idea that like God has already signed the papers, like he's already adopted us. But so why does it feel like we are still orphaned at times? Why does it still feel like I'm not living in the truth of what it's like to be in God's family, to have God as my father, to look like Jesus, to look like uh, my brother, my, my, my sister in Christ? Why do I stray? Why do I run away from home? Why, in, the, in a metaphorical sense, why is that so hard for me to live out? And I was thinking about the movie A Cinderella Story. Have you seen A Cinderella Story? It's with Hilary Duff. It's a great movie. Some of it's uh, filmed in Long Beach. It's a great movie. Um, if you haven't seen it, you should go back and watch it. A Cinderella Story. <clears throat> it's basically the story of Cinderella. This girl, she has already lost her mom. And in the very beginning of the movie, uh, her dad, who has gotten remarried to, a, of course, a horrible stepmom and has two horrible stepsisters, he dies in an earthquake. Oh, my gosh. Earthquake. So scary. And so... She is now orphaned into this family with a stepmother and two stepsisters. And her dad had owned a diner, and he had owned a really big house with lots of cars. And she, her stepmom, took over all of that. And so now we have Sam, who's the Cinderella character. And throughout the entire movie, she's living this life of, like, servanthood. And she's on her hands and knees, like, scrubbing the floor of the diner. And it all culminates to a point where at the end of the movie, I'll spoil a little bit, she actually finds this hidden will of her father's. And it says in this will that he has already signed off that the diner and the house and all the cars belong to Sam, the Cinderella character. So all along, she had access to all of this inheritance, to be the, the captain of her own ship, uh, to not live the life of servanthood that she was. And in a moment, in an instant, life changes. Like this, the movie is almost unsatisfying in that way because like the, the will falls out of her, out of like a journal, uh, out of like a storybook. Um, and like suddenly over the course of like two minutes in this movie, I, I watched the end of it again and I was like, this just ended so quick. It was like just in a moment, her life completely changed because she knew who she was. She knew that she wasn't a slave to this family anymore. She knew that she had an inheritance that was great, that was keeping her safe. In the same way, we have, this, we have scripture right in front of us that has said, God has already signed the papers. He's already said, you're welcomed in. He's already done the hard, hard work, the heavy lifting for you to graft you into his family. And it's just your acceptance, your discovery, your realization of this truth that's going to change your life. And it can be in an instant. That's what repentance is. It's our response to the truth of the gospel that there's something better for us. Repentance is a 180 turn. It's your moving in one direction towards the life of sin and slavery to sin, being captive by sin, being captive by the punishment of death. Repentance is a 180 turn and saying, no, I'm going to live in light, in life, and live in the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ has died for me. We were once lost. We were once orphaned. In Ephesians 2.12, it says this, Remember that you were at a time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There was a time in which you did not know that you were part of the family of God. And now you have been invited in. Jesus has already done the heavy lifting, which is my second point, which is that we are adopted into the family of God by and only by Jesus' wounds. 
We are adopted into the family of God by Jesus' wounds. In verses 7 to 8 in Ephesians chapter 1, it says this. In him, in him, meaning like grafted in. When it says in, I want you to even think about that image of being grafted in. Like your branch, your life is fully attached to the root of, of God. That your nourishment and your life is only coming from him. In John 15, 5, it says this, I am the vine, God is the vine. You are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from God, when God is not your source of life, your source of truth, your compass, your true north, you are like a branch that was thrown into the middle of a field and you have no root. You have no source of nourishment. You will wither. You will fade. You will fail. You will hurt. You will be captive by your sin and shame. No, okay. So now it says this in verse 7. In him, grafted in him. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. I'm going to even pick up Ephesians 2.12. It was saying that apart from Christ, we have no hope. And then in, in verse 13, right after it says, but, but now in Christ Jesus, grafted in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. This image of grafting in is even so perfect in my mind because in order for a branch to be grafted into the root, you have to make a physical wound in the root. There has to be a physical wound in that root in order for that branch to be attached. And in fact, we have the story of Christ who came down, took on human flesh, and said, I am going to die the death that you deserved for the sin that separates you from my Father. And I'm going to go to the cross on your behalf, take on that sin, go to the grave with it, and say, it is finished completely. Your sin is covered for. Your sin has been atoned for. There is redemption. There is forgiveness. There is hope when you're grafted into that family. I think that this concept is lost on us every single week because it's just repeated so often. So I thought I'd bring a pop culture reference to you. Uh, Outer Banks, anyone? Okay, we fans. Anyone watch the third season? Don't tell me I haven't finished it. I have one episode left, self-control. Um, I'm not here endorsing it, but I am saying there's a great metaphor. Um, <clears throat> season one, episode three. If you haven't seen it, there's a guy named Pope. Pope is a straight and narrow guy. He usually doesn't do bad things, but unfortunately, he sinks the bad guy's ship. He sinks his boat. I don't know if you remember this, but this is true. Pope, he sinks um, the enemy ward. He sinks his ship, okay? And he is about to get, hand he's like getting in the process of getting handcuffed for doing this, okay? The, the police have come, and they are handcuffing him. And his friend, JJ, which we know JJ, he has a history. Um, he's not, this, this metaphor breaks down at a certain point because really JJ is Jesus in this example, but Jesus did not do bad. But JJ says, no, 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 no. I can't see my friend go to jail. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. I was the one. 
I was the one who did it. I sunk the boat. JJ comes in and takes the blame. And Pope is like, what are you doing? No, wait, wait, I, I did it. And he's like, no. He says, Pope, be quiet. I was the one who did it. I sunk the boat. Take me. And the, the sheriff kind of has this moment where he's like, I don't know. Are you sure? Like, I think. And finally, the sheriff was like, all right, if you're admitting to it, I'm going to arrest you. So he, he handcuffs JJ. He takes these handcuffs off of Pope, the guilty one, the one who deserved to go to jail and be fined $30,000 takes the handcuffs off of Pope, and he puts them on J.J., and he leads J.J. to prison. And J.J. goes to prison for, I think, probably like a couple days to a couple weeks. Time is irrelevant in the Outer Banks, and has to owe a bunch of money. But it's this perfect example of, like, of what Christ has done for us. Christ has said, yep, you are the one who's done it, and I know it. You have sinned. You have fallen short of the glory of God. You do not deserve to be in relationship with God the Father. But Jesus Christ came down and said, you know what? I'm going to take it. I'm going to serve your sentence. I'm going to take on the punishment that you deserve, but I'm going to take it on. And he says, put the handcuffs on me. You know what Pope didn't do? Pope didn't say, no, wait, it really is me, and shove J.J. out of the way. Pope did at a a point in time say, I'll take it. I'll take that sacrifice. Are you working so hard to make up for the sins in your life? The sins that are plaguing you at night? That you're thinking, man, if I can just get this managed, if I can just figure this out in my life, maybe I'll be worth something to someone. If I can just get a hold and a handle on this. You know what you're doing there? You're saying, nah, I don't, really, I don't really want that sacrifice that you already made, Jesus. I don't really want what you have to give me. I don't want you to serve the sentence that I deserve. I'm going to try and serve my sentence. You know what your sentence is? It's death. And I don't want you to serve that. The eternal separation from God. You cannot manage your own sin on your own. It's this try-harder cycle. You know what you can do? You can't say, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I need someone else to serve this sentence of separation from God, of death. And Jesus says, great, I've already done it. I've already served that sentence for you. I did it 2,000 years ago. I went to the cross, I died on your behalf, and then I conquered death itself and rose from the grave. Because of this sacrifice, we get to say yes to Jesus. We get to say yes, I want to be a son or a daughter of the King Most High only by Jesus' wounds. You have been invited into the family of God to draw near to God the Father because Jesus died for you. Don't hip check him out of the way. Say, yes, serve my sentence for me. I need you, Jesus. We are adopted into the family of God before we were even born. We are adopted into the family of God by and only by Jesus' wounds, not by anything you've done or could do. And finally, we are adopted into the family of God. Why? For the purpose of being known. It says in verses 8 through 10 of Ephesians 1, second half of eight says this, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, 
according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This was his plan all along, was to unite all of creation in him, to invite God. To inv- God said, I want to invite you into fellowship with me, the eternal father and son relationship we have access to through the power of the Holy Spirit. It says in Galatians 4, 4 through 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Receive, that's a passive word. You did not do anything to earn your spot in this family of God. You receive adoption as sons and daughters. You honestly, you don't have much to offer God that he doesn't already have. Other than yourself. Did you catch that? You you, you honestly don't have much to offer God that he doesn't already have other than yourself. If you are running from Jesus, the reason why he wants you is for you. Because he loves you and he wants to be in relationship with you. And this is very hard for us to comprehend. We struggle to understand this because our motives are so selfish. Think about the last person you spent time with. Maybe it was a friend yesterday or last night. Maybe it was a group of friends. Maybe it was a boyfriend or a girlfriend or somebody you were just interested in. Maybe it was a group of friends. Maybe it was like, maybe it was even Kajabi, Kajabi night that you were like, I'm going to go show up to this thing. And I'd ask you, think about the last time you hung out with people. Why did you do it? Why did you hang out with them? There might have been some really good motives, like, oh, I really care about them. They're really awesome. I really want to maybe watch this, like, Jesus Revolution movie or whatever. Maybe you're like, oh, I want to I build them up in some way or care for them well. But at some point, there is selfishness to it where you say, but I also think I can gain something from them. I also think they have something to offer me. And that is what community is about, is we offer things to one another. So there is good in that. But so many of us are searching and longing for a love that is completely selfless, one that is fully and entirely focused on you and you alone. We are searching and struggling to understand where is that love? Where is the love that is fully pure, laced with no selfishness? Because it seems like every one of my motives is laced with some degree of selfishness, but God's motives are completely pure. He just wants us, and he wants us for us. And it's because he wants to show us what love truly looks like, and he is the source of fully selfless love. C.S. Lewis says this, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, which can you relate to that? Desires in yourself that nothing can satisfy. If you find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And if another world, maybe another person might that person be God? This movie, Jesus Revolution, is taking over. Has anyone seen it? 
It's an incredible movie. I highly suggest going to see it. <clears throat> There's this part in the movie that will wreck me. Uh, it is a part, I mean, there's a lot of parts, um, but this one part where there's this guy named Lonnie Frisbee, and it's a true story, this guy who's a hippie, so he's like all about love, and he used to do drugs, was like a big part of the hippie culture, hippie movement, and he used to do drugs, and he is a Christ follower now. His life has been transformed by Christ, but he is still part of this generation, and he's walking with this generation of young, belie- uh, young people who are on the brink of believing in God, but are just missing it. And he's talking with Chuck Smith, who um, is a pastor who's a little bit older. And Chuck Smith just just does not understand these young people. And he's kind of sitting with Lonnie. And Lonnie's trying to communicate to him why it's worth it to invite them into the church and say, give them a chance. And this is what Lonnie says. And I actually just think that it's about you guys. (laughs) I mean, I, I think it is. I think that there is just something so true about this generation of hippies that is so true about today's uh, Gen Zers, you guys. It says this, there is an entire generation searching for God. He says, I know we must seem a little strange, but if you look a little deeper, if you look with love, you'll see a bunch of kids that are searching for all the right things just in the wrong places. You guys are searching for all the right things. You're searching for a love that is selfless. That is why you flock to community. That's why you flock to significant others. That's why you flock to the things that are giving you instantaneous gratification. Because you're searching for a love that surpasses all your understanding. And for some reason, you keep hitting rock bottom. And it never satisfies. You are searching for a love that is selfless. Let me just say... I think I know that love, and I think it's found in the God of this Bible, and you have access to him by being grafted into the family of God, not by your own doing, but by Jesus' wounds, what he's already done for you. You are searching for all the right things. You've just been maybe searching for them in the wrong places. Let me say that this is a place that you might be able to ask some of those hard questions about where should you search for the right things, in the right places. We have been adopted into the family of God. You already have been. It's just your receiving of that identity that could change your life for all of eternity. We have been grafted in already by the wounds of Jesus. And why? It is the perp- for the purpose of knowing love a love that is selfless and kind and gentle and humble. This is the love that we get to know in our Father. Would you guys stand with me? I'm going to pray over you as I invite our worship team up and we respond to this God who has been kind enough to us to adopt us in. Father God, we are just so thankful that you have made every sacrifice that we could even imagine to run after us, to make a way for us to be invited into this family of God. God, thank you so much that you've given us an opportunity to be part of a family, a family uh, that is broken because it is made up of broken people. But Lord, would we respond in a way that is just so secure in you 
in a father who has chased us down and said, I am going to do everything to bring you back into my fold, into my family. God, thank you that all you, all you need from us is our yes. Lord, would we say yes this morning over and over as we worship you for being God and Father of all. In your name we pray. Amen.